Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 17. You can follow along with me in the Bible that you brought. There's also a Bible in the pew racks uh, that are in front of you. You can also follow along. It's prepared It's uh, prepared and placed on the bulletin. If you'd like to follow along there, uh, that'd be great. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here, and we are so glad to have you with us this morning because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing with your time this morning. For instance, you could be over at the Knoxville uh, Art Museum looking at the new uh, display uh, celebrating collage. Uh, You could be at home putting away your tank tops and your short shorts uh, because fall is on its way and you need your new fall knitwear. Uh, Or you could be over at the Tennessee Valley Fair getting your last ride on the scrambler, getting your last turkey leg, getting your last funnel cake, and taking that to the face. Uh, But you're not doing any of those things. Uh, It closes tonight. The fireworks will wake me up as soon as I go to sleep. But uh, you're not doing those things. Uh, You're here. We're really glad you're here. Uh, Welcome uh, to Redeemer. You know, there's really nothing better that you could do with your time uh, than to worship Jesus, consider his claims upon your life, and think about uh, the glories and the beauties of his kingdom. So I do want to welcome you. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, uh, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to ride the scrambler. We love to eat turkey legs. We love to read the Bible. We love to pray together so that we can remind one another of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind one another of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, who are here in Urban and University, Knoxville, and hopefully in some way would spill out into the entire world, right? That's who we are. People are trying to learn how to love God, trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect, right? And so to help us do that, we're in the middle of a series that we've entitled True Spirituality, Reflections on Paul's First Letter to the Corinthians. And throughout this series, our hope is that we will come to see that true spirituality isn't so much sort of our experiences. And and true spirituality isn't uh, sort of advancing to the next level and then to the next level and to the next level of Christianity. That spirituality isn't so much these disciplines and these things that we do in order to make life work for us. But true spirituality is actually about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the curriculum of the Spirit is the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And what the Spirit is trying to do is apply the death and resurrection of Jesus to the entirety of our lives. And so this morning, what I want us to consider is the spiritual foundation. All right, the spiritual foundation. So with that in mind, let's look together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, Son and Holy Spirit, we thank you. Uh, that you're a God, uh, not hidden, uh, not silent, but a God who loves uh, to make himself known to his people, that we would be those who see beautiful things of you, that we would be those who know you and know your love. And it's our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, uh, that you by your spirit would attend unto us, that we would see lovely things of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are, there are a few things uh, more universal and yet ridiculous than a student who comes home and tells their parents how the world works, right? And that's a conversation that has happened throughout the ages. It's a conversation that happens probably week after week, vacation after vacation. And it usually revolves around why a parent is supposed to let their child do whatever that child wants to do. Uh, and then that conversation usually devolves into how stupid the parent is and how the child knows so much more about how life actually works. That's the conversation going on between the Corinthians and Paul. 
right? Uh, the Corinthians thought that they had matured. The Corinthians thought that they had grown up and that they had seen a thing or two about the world. They had experienced a thing or two about God. And they were now grown up. They were adults. And they had matured beyond Paul and his gospel to the deeper, meatier things of the Holy Spirit. And throughout this conversation, Paul comes to them and he says, verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Here are his children in the faith bowing up on him. Like, we're adults. They're wanting to take their dad on and wrestle him because they're now maybe taller than him. And, uh, which happens uh, in, in some households. But uh, anyway, but you know, they, they feel like they've grown up and they've moved on. And Paul is saying to them, look, brothers, I'm sorry. You're not as mature as you think you are. You're actually still children. In fact, the maturity that you boast in and the spirituality uh, that you think that you have achieved is really verse 3 and 4, of the flesh or of man, but it is not of God. You see, the Corinthians, they, they had begun to build their lives, their spiritual lives upon their factions and upon their experiences and upon their own maturity rather than upon Jesus. And, and Paul writes to remind them that there is one thing and one thing alone upon which God's church is built. And it is Jesus. It is Jesus. And that's the point in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And this is what I want us to think about this morning. That Christ is the foundation. Right? Christ is the foundation. Would you say that with me? Christ is the foundation. It seems to me that the Corinthians were a lot like us. And they were really just a group of individualists. And the way that they envisioned the work of the Spirit in their lives was that it was all about them. That their spirituality was about me. And Paul is writing to them to say, no, you misunderstood what the Spirit is doing. The work of the Spirit is actually all about us. And this is what Paul is getting at in uh, the letter to the Ephesians in uh, chapter 2 when he says, Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one that, we might, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And what he's saying is that uh, God is stepping into the hostilities of this world. And he is bringing peace where there is no peace. He's uniting people who would never get along together. He's, he's saying that, there are, there are, uh, that God is making one new man out of the two. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's also what he's getting at in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. You just hear that word one. There's one body, one spirit, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And here's the point. Uh, the spirit of God is uniting us together. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in doing so, he is making one new man in Christ. And so where the Corinthians are dividing the people of God, 
the Spirit of God is actually uniting the people of God. But the Corinthians had begun to neglect this preliminary principle, and like us, uh, they set out to divide themselves according to their differences. So they saw all these levels to spirituality, all these levels to their Christianity, and they began to evaluate one another and say, oh, he's an infant. Oh, he's mature. I'm mature. They're an infant. And Paul is saying to them, like, this is not the way of God. Our maturity is not so much just about me. Our maturity is actually bound up with one another. And here's really the point. Um, you will never mature beyond the walls of the church. And any maturity that God might give you, any maturity that you might receive from God's spirit is not for your own good, but it is actually for the growth and maturation of the people of God. Your gifts are given to you by God, not for yourself, but for the good of God's people. And so if you're gifted at evangelism, uh, oftentimes your temptation is to get mad at people who aren't gifted at evangelism. And they go, oh, we're, we're about evangelism. You're not. You're not as mature as we are. And what Paul is saying is your gifts of evangelism are actually for the good of the people of God. If you're a good Bible teacher, you're gifted to be a good Bible teacher for the good of the church. If you're hospitable, if you're good at prayer, if you're good at... at uh, I don't know, uh, engineering and whatever you're good at, you're good for the building up of God's people. The gifts that he gives you are actually for the maturation of the people of God. But, but the Corinthians saw their maturity as their own and so they uh, cultivated within themselves this uh, partisan spirit. And they were just dividing over all their differences. And they had very real differences. I mean, if you read this book, they are disagreeing over some pretty significant issues. They have questions uh, that they disagree on about where do we find wisdom. They have differences of opinion about what is idolatry and what foods they can eat and what drinks they can drink. They, they, they have questions and they disagree about how you can use your body sexually and uh, whether or not you could sleep with temple prostitutes. There's, a, there's controversy about what is marriage. Uh, and is it good to be married or is it bad to be married or should we remain single? They have these debates about who can speak in worship and how they should speak in worship. They, they even uh, are having discussions about what is the meaning of the resurrection and was it bodily? And these are real questions. I mean, I, I would assume many of you are asking some of these questions and, and, uh, and Paul writes this letter to help them understand the answer to these questions. But what he's saying here is that regardless of where you stand and regardless of whether or not you're right or wrong, Christ is the foundation. Right? Christ is the foundation. Would you say that with me? Christ is the foundation. And the work of the Spirit then is to unite us, not to divide us. Look, let's just be honest. It doesn't take the Holy Spirit for you to hang out with people uh, with whom you agree. What is actually supernatural is when you and I can disagree with one another and we can still hang out together out of love for one another, out of love for Jesus. And it seems to me that in our culture and in our denomination, we've come to believe that unity means uniformity. 
that we've all got to think alike and act alike and talk alike in order for us to be unified. But sameness is not necessarily nearness. You, you and I can believe the same things and not like each other, right? And you and I might disagree on a lot of things and we might like one another and want to be near to one another. And one of the things that the Spirit of God is doing is he is uniting people who are very different. If you just read the Bible, he's uniting people from every tongue, tribe, and nation all around Jesus. And if you read this book and you think about the Corinthian church and you think about who are there at this Corinthian church, it's, it's people who don't like each other. It's people who are very different in the culture. You have the rich and the poor. You have thieves and you have drunkards. You have slaves and slave owners. You have Jews and Gentiles. You have men and women. You have homosexual offenders and former prostitutes. You have synagogue rulers and pagans. And don't forget that the man who's writing this letter was a murderer of people who believed in in Jesus. And people who had nothing in common, and not only that, people who were actually scared of one another and lived normally as enemies with one another, were brought together, not out of the goodness of humanity, but they were brought together uh, by the Holy Spirit, out of love for Jesus. And for something like that to happen, it requires the Holy Spirit to do this. And to be honest, there's really nothing special about a bunch of white, middle-class, highly educated, bluegrass-loving theology geeks gathering together, right, to enjoy one another. But what is amazing, right, is that when Democrats and Republicans, vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, maskers and non-maskers, NPR and Rush Limbaugh, blacks and whites, Asians and Africans, mathletes and athletes, family value advocates and prostitutes, addicts and therapists, oppressors and the oppressed, they gather together out of love for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is unity in Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is to unite us together in Christ. And the chief enemy of the Holy Spirit, right, the chief enemy of unity is pride. It's pride. It's elitism. Richard Hayes uh, wrote this. He said, elitism can take on many different forms in the church. Some will boast in spiritual gifts, some in scholarly knowledge, some in doctrinal correctness or moral uprightness or proper political concerns. The most insidiously divisive forms of elitism will be precisely those that are most spiritual in motivation and manifestation. Wherever such apparently spiritual concerns fracture the community into special interest caucuses, or lead people into self-absorption with their own spirituality, the word of the cross needs to be spoken to recall the community to the mind of Christ. And what he's saying is that in all of our divisiveness, we need to be called back to Jesus. And we need to remember that the only reason we are here, the only reason we gather together to worship him and praise him and to be called by his name is because Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's why we gather. And we need to remember the mind of Christ, meaning that we are being called by Jesus to love that which he loves, to love those people that he loves. And we do that because he died and he rose from the dead, uniting us to himself by the Spirit. And here's the point, Christ is the foundation. 
Christ is the foundation. Would you say that with me? Christ is the foundation. And the images that Paul uses in this text, they are unifying images. Uh, There's one field, uh, there's one building, and there's one uh, temple. And so while the Corinthians are busy dividing into factions, the Spirit is working to unite. And that's the point of these three images. You'll notice first the field, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. And this is just important, it's basic, we confess this all the time, uh, but we're God's field. We belong to God, not to ourselves. Uh, We're his. Uh, We're not our theology, we're not our ministry, we're not our good works, we're not our wisdom, we're not our maturity. We are God's. And all that we have and any growth that we receive, uh, it actually comes from him. It comes from him. And the Corinthians were like, yeah, 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 we know. <laughs> we know. We, we follow Paul. Like, we get it. We, we follow Apollos. We get it. And in doing this, what they were doing is they were dividing the field. They were saying, we belong to Paul's field. Uh, we belong to Apollos' field. And Paul's saying, hey, look, I'm Paul. <laughs> I don't have a field. It's God's field. It's not mine, it's not Apollos's, it's not Calvin's, it's not Luther's, it's not Augustine's, it's not Redeemer's, it's not Tim Keller's, it's not Ligon Duncan's, it's not the PCA's. It's actually God's field. Some plant, they do a great job of planting. Uh, Some water, and they're really good at watering. But verse 7, God gives the growth. It's God who gives the growth. And I want you to notice then in verse 9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. And it's, it's really beautiful and it, uh, for our business culture. That literally, it's uh, we are God's synergy. Uh, our work together is synergy. Uh, that what you do, uh, what I do, it's together. Uh, it works together for the good. And it's God who gives the life. Uh, I'm doing a massive landscape project in my backyard. And by massive, I mean I'm digging holes and uh, trying to kill grass. And there's no machinery. It's just a tool that is used to move dirt. I don't know what it's called. And it's a tool that breaks up rocks. And I don't know what it's called. But I'm using them to try to do something. And I'm out there. I'm digging these holes. I'm pulling out roots and all this sort of stuff. And then at night, my wife goes out and she waters the plant so that they don't die. And we got in a fight yesterday, or discussion in Jesus about, uh, <laughs> you know, about, about this project. Because, like, she's like, hey, I think, I think gardening's going to be my new hobby. And I was like, really? Like, what are you actually doing? So, holding your heads. And, uh, and she's like, come on, like, they die. Like, what you did, it dies if I don't do this. And I'm like, you're right. But really, uh, what she do, she's done a few things else. She's cut some plants. And uh, she's done a great job. It's beautiful. She planned the whole thing. She told me what to do. Anyway, this, it's not important. And, uh, but anyway, but both of us are working together. It's one project, you know. And if I just dig holes and put things in the ground and we don't ever water it, they die. Right? And the other, the other fact of the matter is I can put things in the ground and she can water them and they still might die. Like it requires God to give life. Right? God's got to transform my backyard from the mosquito pit that it is so that we can live in it. And it's a team effort. And so really the point is I was thinking about this this morning. Like why would I boast that I dug holes? Why would that make me any better? We're doing the same thing. It's the same project. 
And here's one of the things that's really beautiful. Uh, you know, in our, in our church, we're all gifted in different ways, and we tend to elevate our own gifts and elevate our own callings. But what he's saying is that uh, through your works of evangelism and, and through your works of Bible study and through your works of prayer and through your works of hospitality and through your particular vocations in this world, uh, God is doing something really beautiful. He's bearing fruit to his field. He's bringing fruit to his field. He's, he's growing his church. And no matter how hard you work, no matter how many things you do right, how many things you do wrong, it's God who gives the growth. Uh, we'll never grow unless he gives life. Right, here's the point. Uh, Christ is the foundation. Christ is the foundation. Would you say that with me? Christ is the foundation. Then he goes on to say, we're not just a field, but we're this building. We're God's building. And the foundation of that building is Jesus. And there is no other foundation upon which we're to build. And so if you want God's building uh, to be strong, and if you want God's building to last... It must be built upon him. The Corinthians, uh, they seem to have been building half on Jesus and half on Paul. Half on Jesus, half on Apollos. Or maybe they are creating their own foundations. Or maybe they're building upon C.S. Lewis or Augustine or Keller or Bob Inc. All of which are amazing. But the reason they're amazing is not because they themselves are amazing. What makes them valuable to the church is not that we build on them. What makes them valuable to the church is that they have told us about Jesus. That's why they're important to us. That's why we read. That's why we listen to other sermons. Because they tell us about Jesus. They tell us about our foundation. And if we begin to boast in anyone or anything other than Jesus, uh, Paul's saying that this building should be condemned. That's what he's saying. As y'all know, uh, we're in the middle of a building campaign, and um, it's kind of going slow. You know, as many of you know, we wish it was going much faster. And part of the slowness has to do with uh, the architects, who are awesome, but they're running everything through the code books. Uh, and that takes time. And the fact of the matter is, I'm glad they're running everything through the code books. Because we don't want them to build the building and then we get in and then it falls down on us, right? We want a strong building built with integrity. And Paul is saying that in order for the church to grow up as it was intended, in order for the church to become what God intends it to be, it must rest upon Jesus. And therefore the church has got to come up to code. How will we know if we're meeting code? Well, I wish there was an easier way than what he tells us, but what he tells us in, in verse 13 is that uh, we'll see in the end. We'll see if what we're building on this little corner comes up to code in the end. It's a little frightening, verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive the reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Now, there are a lot of ways we could talk about this passage, but I think one of the most amazing things is that this is actually a challenge to us. Because what we're doing here on this little corner is we're not just building uh, for this moment, this cultural moment. And we're not even uh, building for the next generation. Uh, what we are doing on this little corner is we are building towards the last day when everything that we have done here will be given to Jesus 
And it will be shown for what it is, and he will receive it, and he will evaluate it. And I think that this is huge because what it's telling us is that God is the judge of his church. Not you. And not me. But God is the judge of his church, and he will evaluate our labors. And this frees us. I don't have to be the judge of every other church. Uh, I can rest in him who is a good judge. Uh, and even if we do certain things wrong and it's mistake, we make some mistakes, it's, it's the foundation, he says, that will keep us safe. My family on my mother's side is from St. John the Baptist Parish in Louisiana. It's just outside of New Orleans. And my family had a sugarcane plantation and a rice plantation that's known as the uh, Haydell Habitation, which is on the river road down there. It's now the Whitney Museum and Memorial to the transatlantic slave trade. And it's this amazing and beautiful sacred space. And if you ever go down to New Orleans, you need to do this tour. Family doesn't receive anything from it. But you need to go on, on this tour uh, because when, they, when you go, uh, they don't focus on the Haydells. Uh, they focus on the slaves who actually built the plantation. And so when you go there, they, they show you how uh, the slaves built the house like they built houses in Sierra Leone. And they show you how they, they grew rice like they did in Sierra Leone and how they, they grew the sugar cane like they did in Sierra Leone. And when you visit the house, they show you how it's sitting just perfectly so that the breezes off the river come through to cool the house. And, and rather than going upstairs and seeing all the fancy antiques, they take you into the basement of the house, into the foundation. And there you see these huge walls that lifted the house up off of the ground so that when the Mississippi River would flood, uh, the house would be safe. And you see the foundation, and these walls are over an inch and a half uh, thick uh, to protect against the hurricanes that they knew were coming. So the main house, the big house as they call it, uh, was built in 1791. And the same house has survived since 1791. Flood after flood, hurricane after hurricane, Betsy, Katrina, and just last month, the eye of Hurricane Ida uh, passed right over the house. And while the hurricane was barreling down on the parish, uh, the descendants of the slaves that had actually built the house ran to the big house to find shelter in it. And there they sat in the living room of the house for 17 hours in the dark uh, as the wind and as the rain pummeled the property. And when they came out, uh, after the hurricane had passed, when they came out of the place of refuge, uh, all the trees on the property had been downed and all the other structures on the property uh, had been flattened. Uh, but the house that their forefathers had built uh, stood strong. And they ran to it to find refuge. And that's what Paul is saying to us is that the, the church is a place of refuge. And because it's a place of refuge, it must be built upon the foundation of Jesus. The church is built upon Christ. It's, it's not built upon our wisdom. It's not built upon our experiences. It's not built upon science or technology or demographics or social justice or ethics or politics or sociology. Uh, but it's actually built on Jesus. 
And Jesus has a lot to say about all those other things, uh, many of which are really good. But they are not the foundation. It is only Jesus who will keep us safe. And, and here's the point. Uh, Christ is the foundation. Right? Christ is the foundation. Would you say that with me? Christ is the foundation. And I want you to notice that the building that God is building is not just any building, but it's the temple. And as many of you know, uh, temples are the dwelling place of God. See this in verse 16. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, he will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now this is really amazing because uh, it makes you think about this collection of people that are here in this room, here in this little corner of 17th and Highland. And we're not just a collection of people. But in biblical terms, we're actually the temple of God. And we're not just any temple, we are a holy temple. And the question is, what is it that actually makes us holy? Uh, is it our knowledge? Is it our wisdom? Is it our good lives? Is it our good deeds? Is it our maturity? Is it our theology? No. We are holy because the holy God dwells among us. It's the presence of the Holy One that makes us holy. And I think that this is a massive challenge to us because the Corinthians were dividing over who was the holiest or who was the most spiritual. And Paul says in verse 17, if you divide that which is holy, if you divide the temple, if you destroy the temple, God's words, not mine, God will destroy you. That's strong language. And in a culture that loves to split churches and leave churches for the next spiritual thing, uh, I think we need to hear this. Because it is very easy for us to think that we can become more mature than our churches. And what Paul is saying is, look, you are only holy because of me. It is God who makes us holy. Holiness isn't something we achieve. It's not something we become. Holiness is declared and bestowed upon us. And God has declared his church to be holy because this is where he dwells. And he sets his church apart for holy use, meaning use for him. That we would bear witness to him and to his presence in this world. And if Jesus is with his church, and if he has declared his church to be holy, then to leave that which is holy for something else he says, leads only to destruction. That's the warning of the passage. Because Christ alone is the foundation and there is no other. Right? Christ is the foundation. Would you say that with me? Christ is the foundation. And that's the point of the table. You know, every week we gather together and we come to this table at the end of our services uh, because this table reminds us that we're here for him. The table reminds us that it's Jesus who has invited us to come. And he's the reason that we are here. And no matter where we've come from, no matter where we've been, no matter what we have done, it is Christ who welcomes us at his table and then sets us apart as holy unto himself. And when we come to this table, we're reminded that, that it's Jesus who actually created us. It's Jesus who died for us. 
It's Jesus who rose from the dead for us. It's Jesus who's ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ruling and reigning over all things for us. And it is Jesus who has promised to return uh, to judge the living and the dead. To say that which is right and that which is wrong. With a promise that he will restore his people whom he has declared holy unto himself. He will receive his people to himself. This table reminds us that, that Christ is the foundation. And so as we eat, we eat remembering that Christ is the foundation. So would you say that with me one last time? Christ is the foundation. Therefore, I invite you to rise and to lift up your hearts.